Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. This week we have a really special treat. Um, a lot of times these shows sort of come about in unexpected ways. Uh, it was a little while ago that over at the Nachum Siegel Network, I was told that um, Nachum, the Nachum Siegel Network is going to be hosting a kosher halftime show for uh, the big football game that's coming up, of which name I'm not allowed to say for legal purposes. So I think we all know, even people like me who don't really follow sports know what that is. Um, and they you know, said, would I promote it? And could we you know, put it out on social media? And it's really important for me to be authentic in social media, really. The social media experience on Facebook or Twitter or YouTube is really kind of sitting down in a conversation with me. That's kind of how I put it out there. So I wrote back and I said, I'm certainly happy to promote great programming from the Nachum Siegel Network. But the thing is, I hate sports. So, you know, how do I put this out in, in a good way? And the more I started thinking about it, um, just because I'm not really a fan of sports, and we could go back to the psychology of how this began, getting picked last in gym class year after year. <laughs> That's probably how it started, getting balls thrown in my face when I attempted Little League, that sort of a thing, or softball, I guess, was the girl version of that. Um, but I'm certainly not a sports fan, but I realize there's actually something uh, that I'm really quite a fan of when it comes to the Kosher Halftime Show for the Nachum Siegel Network, and that is... Um, our society, secular American society, um, really um, does not display women often in the most respectful way. And, you know, even I was thinking just in a lot of sporting events, if you look at the players that are dressed in a certain way and then you have cheerleaders that are dressed in a very different way um, that are there kind of, you know, cheering and really very much objectified and oftentimes, you know, with, uh, you know, concerts and that sort of a thing, not to say that all secular music is not kosher or somehow drafe, but a lot of times so much of the, the music industry and the Hollywood industry is really objectifying women. And with that, um, I thought, oh, well, I would love to do that take on the Kosher Halftime Show and sort of learn more about kind of how all this began. And then I wondered, maybe I would just have, you know, the, the inventor of it, uh, the guy himself, the Nachum Siegel, uh, join me on my radio show. And I asked if that was possible, and I was told that it is. And so without further ado, Nachum Siegel, thank you so much for joining Jew in the City Speaks this week. A pleasure. Thank you for having me. You know, now maybe it might be a little crazy to have like, you know, a, a world leading expert on my show. I think, you know, before I had Emily Stern on Howard Stern's daughter, I thought how preposterous to have, you know, the king of, of media's daughter on my radio show and um, perhaps equally preposterous to have the, the king of Jewish radio on my radio show. But um, nonetheless, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I welcome you. So um, before we get to the kosher halftime show, I realized once I was having you on the show, I wanted to find out more about you and more how all of this began um, because, I mean, this is over three decades that, uh, that this entity that you've built has been in existence. Am I correct? Yeah, it's over three decades, and I appreciate the compliment. Thank you. Um, the, uh, back in the early 1980s, I uh, was doing a radio show up at Yeshiva University, and uh, there was a daily Jewish program at the radio station that I'm at now at the WFMU 91.1 FM. And they were looking for a host to take over, and luckily, the person on the search committee who was looking for the host called Yeshiva University and reached somebody I was very close with, and the next day in September of 1983, I was on the air, and I've been there for 32 years ever since, and it has been an unbelievable ride. So, okay, let's go back first. You were observant your whole life. What got you interested in the radio in the first place? I mean, that probably wasn't the most common thing for your typical nice Orthodox Jewish boy to be doing, or were there others out there? And that's true. No, the, uh, 
it's funny, though, when I went to Yeshiva University, my mother said to me, uh, check out the radio station, might be something you'll enjoy. Mm-hmm. And I took her advice, and I checked in. My father, who was a pretty well-known rabbi, would be too happy about it. But after my first show, which was on a Thursday night, I got home the next day on a Friday. Had a discussion with him about it, and he was pretty fascinated by the whole thing, which was good. You know, it didn't really encourage me, but certainly was, uh, you know, he, he reacted differently than I thought he would. And, um, you know, I thought it would be something that I would uh, be doing as a hobby up at, uh, you know, up in college for, for a couple of semesters. I didn't think it would be something I'd pursue as a as a career, it's sort of, you know, a few thousand shows later, all of a sudden I find myself, uh, you know, actually doing it and uh, presenting it each and every day and building on it. And and um, it's just been amazing. I mean, it's, uh, it's, um, it's a fulfilling job. It's a fun job. It's a, uh, it's one that has, uh, has an impact out there, uh, which is always um, satisfying to have, you know, an impact. And, make an impression, especially these days. You had a chance to make an international impression with the way things work. And um, it's just been amazing ever since uh, those very first days. So what do you think made your mother say that you might enjoy this? Was there, or what sort of drew you to this initially? Were, were there other hobbies or interests that you had before? Was it just you had this radio voice that she could just tell, you know, belonged? Yeah, I, I, I don't think, I don't think she, if she did it voice-wise, I think, I think she got used to it. When I was six, seven years old, I think she got used to the fact that every Shabbos afternoon I would take out the newspaper and start making believe out a microphone in front of me and reading sports scores and articles and things like that until my siblings were you know, pretty tired of it, and uh, I guess something clicked, and when she heard that, you know, that my intention was to go to YU, and that there was a radio station there, I guess she just put two and two together, but uh, it was always, there was always some type of, I don't know, performance bug with a, an information bug, you know, together inside of me, and uh, it's just a, it's a great avenue to uh, get them both out there. And so, okay, so you explained before there was a job that was opening up and you got it, but was it supposed to be for a Jewish show? That, that part I wasn't so clear, and if you could explain yeah, that. Yeah, there, there was Jewish program. The radio station I'm at had Jewish programming, and okay. they were fearful because the host had left. They were fearful that the program would end, that there wouldn't be any more Jewish programming. They said, let's give it another shot, you know, make a search committee, see if we can find somebody to take over. And that's when they found me. So, yeah, there was Jewish programming at the radio station since the mid-'70s. I took over in 1983. And um, the rest is history. But it seems like there's been a big expansion from when you took over. It was maybe a smaller show. And, I mean, Jame and the AM is really, in the Orthodox world, really a known entity. So is there was there sort of a trajectory of that, how word spread or how? Well, I would say, I would say it took six, seven years for anybody to even realize that I existed. Got it. And then uh, a few same years with after me, that. Uh, <laughs> say it again? I said same with me. <laughs> Yeah, it, it takes time. So, you know, you have to put in those hours and those days and those weeks and months and years. And then uh, I would say in the very, very late 80s, early 90s, all of a sudden, uh, the show started getting a lot of attention. And uh, through the 90s, it got, um, it got attention and it, got, it started to get some, you know, recognition outside of the, uh, you know, the radio realm. Outside, you know, people started looking at it as, just, as not just another radio show and not just... Uh, you know, a, a, a radio show modeled after a college radio show. They started taking it much more seriously. I think the election of uh, 1993 in New York City, um, excuse me, in New York State, that was a that was the, uh, oh gosh, i got to get this right, Cuomo-Pataki election, because there was such a division among the Jewish world in New York uh, about those two candidates. It was really split 50-50. I think the fact that we featured both candidates and their 
and their campaigners or their advocates on the air so frequently uh, started to draw um, started to draw us to the attention of newspapers and others. They started to you know realize that we were a force that we had the ability to uh, to make a difference you know in important things. Um, that, that was just one of what I think was many uh, were many different things, but uh, that was one episode. Anyway, it, it, the traje- trajectory started to you know move in that direction, and then uh, I think one of the one of the key elements of the show was when we started to really pay careful attention to what's happening in Israel, news-wise, and go to Israel and do shows from Israel. And throughout the first uh, throughout the initial period of the 2000s, we especially with the Intifadas. We spent a lot of time focusing on our role in terms of buying Israeli products and going to Israel for tourism and encouraging Aliyah. And it, it, the show just started taking on important messages and, uh, and became much bigger than just, you know, a music show or, or a Jewish radio show. And, um, you know, we got to the point where we were able to build an entire online network around it. And um, it continues to get a lot of international attention. Our trip to Paris uh, and the Jewish Unity Initiative that we created um, made a made such an impact out there. It's uh, it's still you know being spoken about, and so we try to do more and more um, and more and more things with the show and with the network that you know have tremendous meaning and have uh, that leads up really to the kosher halftime show that have, that have tremendous meaning and that you know, make a difference out there and that and that make an impression on people who are uh, you know who are like minded with us. And what what kind of feedback have you heard over the years? I mean, radio is not quite as uh, sort of the same back and forth as social media, you know, because you can write a post and hear a comment right away. But for the comments that you do hear, whether it's around, you know, when you travel around the world or if people email comments and are now on social media, what sorts of ways have this has this programming impacted Jews around the world? Oh, I think it's uh, inspiring. I think that that would be the main reaction. I think people are inspired. The music, the Torah, the conversations, the different things we focus on as opposed to what other media outlets focus on, I think they are inspired. People feel, you know, they feel good um, about, uh, you know, what they hear, and they feel that, that, that they have a place to unite with others, both in, in good times and bad times. Um, I think inspired. I think people have a, have a need to be inspired, and that this show has that niche for a lot of people has really, you know, given them the opportunity to to share uh, in the Jewish world. There are people who listen to me who have, you know, really no level of Jewish observance, and, and their only connection to the Jewish community is the show. And there are others, of course, who, you know, have a much greater level of observance, but the show is still very important to their lives and very important to their own personal inspiration. So I think inspiration might be the the most common um, or the or the broadest category of reaction that I get to the show. And so can you mention that you are online now, and now we've gone from, you know, Jamin and the AM on the radio to the Nachum Seal Network, where shows like uh, Jew in the City Speaks are uh, broadcast. When and how did that come about? Uh, well, we had an online presence right when the, uh, you know, the Internet started to grow, and it was essentially a uh, an online presence of Jewish music 24 hours a day and, uh, you know, one or two live shows a week. Um, Miriam Wallach came in as general manager and uh, brought in a vision that we can be different than all the other live streams out there, all the other people who think that they're doing you know, a good service to the Jewish world through their quote-unquote online radio. And we sought out talented people who would bring something to the table, 
who would be able to create programming that would be interesting, uh, like this show and many others, uh, who would develop personalities on the air that people would gravitate to. And, uh, and we bring, uh, you know, Jewish groups and organizations to the table that, uh, that had a message that we could um, uh, present on a regular basis uh, to the listeners. And, uh, and this team that we've been able to form has uh, followed through on that mission. I mean, it's a mission that continues and one that we, you know, are committed to. But, um, but so far it has been met with great success, thank God. Is, is sort of a, sort of a listenership something that you're tracking? Do you have any sense of sort of how it's grown, if not numbers, but sort of percentages? Any sense about that sort of thing that you would say? Or, well, I mean, it does continue to grow month by month, and there's uh, when we do special events like Paris, for instance. You know, we break all records. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, listenership continues to grow, and in terms of how online radio works, our numbers are stronger than some of the most well-known radio stations in this country because we are, you know, we have such a targeted market and we have uh, you know, great appeal in that market, thank God. And, um, yeah, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, well, you know, with Wild, I spoke in uh, Australia last February and a woman at my talk in Melbourne came up to me and she said, I love your radio show and it's just pretty mind-boggling how the community gets so small, you know, through the internet and through a medium like this that it's really this community, but the world, you know, can really be so, um, we can touch each other in a way. She had that connection to me, you know, literally well, on the other side of the is, planet. Yeah, that point is incredible. I mean, uh, you know, I was in Florida recently, and people are coming over and, and talking about the show, and I've, uh, even when we were in France, you know, it, it was obvious that, that some of the people were, were quite familiar with what the show is all about and how the network works, and Oh, many of the different personalities that we present. I mean, there's uh, it, it, the whole, the whole you know world becoming such a smaller place in the last few years, um, and everybody able to connect the way they do is simply remarkable. We, I mean, and through social media and other means, you know, people are constantly doing that. We have this enhanced ability to do it because we have the radio show and we present content that people enjoy and they react to. So we have a, um, we really have a distinct place out there, as you just described, you know, somebody in Australia could be listening to it on a regular basis, you have no idea, and then <laughs> at some point you find out about it, which is very heartwarming. It's beautiful. You know, we're going to talk about the Kosher Halftime Show in a moment. I'm just thinking about, you know, uh, we recently had on a woman from this uh, Arts and Torah organization, Atara, talking about how the mediums of art uh, are pariv, and then we can choose to, you know, make the song kosher or trafe, make the painting kosher or trafe. Similar for something like radio, you turn on morning radio, and how many of the shows have just like the most inappropriate topics, or they're calling and pranking someone and, you know, wearing someone to have to death, something that, you know, might seem kind of funny or sort of appeal to your baser side, or your more immature side, but it's not really helping you grow as a person or develop, and here, you know, with uh, Jame and the AM and the Nachum Siegel Network, you can take the medium and, you know, share words of Torah and inspiration and, and stories of people helping each other and doing out-of-the-box things. So it's really, um, it's really incredible. I guess before the Kosher Halftime Show, there was the, the Kosher Radio Show. So, uh, you know, using that as a segue, could you tell us a little bit about when the Kosher Halftime Show originated and why? What kind of walk us through that? Yeah, uh, for sure. On your first point, it's a, uh, I mean, there's no question, you know, radio is a mechanism. Every mechanism can be used for good or bad. You know, a pair of scissors could be used to, God forbid, kill somebody. It could be used, you know, for, for positive purposes. And, uh, you know, radio and everything else is the same way, and that's what we've been doing. We've been creating a radio show and network that people can listen to and listen to with their families. 
Uh, most radios you alluded to, even news radio stations, you, you generally can't listen to it, some members of your family these days. Uh, Kosher Halftime Show, we, um, we felt there was a market for it, that there was a, um, a desire for it a couple of years ago. Uh, this is now the third edition, so it started at the beginning of 2014. And the concept is very simple. It's um, there are people who are uncomfortable with the uh, with the regular halftime show when the big uh, sports holiday falls out, you know, at the beginning of February, and you know they start to consider, uh, you know, maybe maybe we shouldn't be watching it. Maybe we shouldn't watch the game at all. We shouldn't expose our kids to the fact that there is a game, et cetera, et cetera. And that's not my philosophy. My philosophy is to try to work within secular society and you know and, and act properly within secular society, et cetera. Um, so what we did was uh, we created a kosher halftime show, not to eliminate or to encourage people not to be part of what all of America is part of that day, yeah. but to encourage people that, you know, give a second thought. Give a second thought that maybe the halftime show is either not appropriate or there's a better alternative, etc. And we're going to go to that extent. We're going to go to the extent that we're going to create a show that we'll only make available that day. So it's not like, you know... You're showing your kids something, and the kids are going, oh, yeah, I saw that video a week ago. I'm not going to watch that now instead of watching, you know, what's happening on, on CBS. Um, but, but to create something that's fresh and new, that's exciting, that has some of the elements that people know about from the big game, like, you know, commercials, quote-unquote, um, and, and put it all together in a 15-, 20-minute package and let people either watch it then, which is, of course, one of its main purposes, or... Let it just be out there. Let it exist. Let them enjoy it at any time. Let them know that there's such a thing as a kosher halftime show. Just like you know, if somebody would go to a certain venue, and it may not be the most kosher venue, but there's a way that a kosher person behaves at that venue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you try to remind people of that. So the same thing here. So uh, we did Schlockrock, and they, uh, Lenny Solomon and Schlockrock did the first edition a couple of years ago, and last year Soul Farm was our main act for the kosher halftime show. This year we're proud to uh, say that Lipa, who is one of the most sought-after uh, artists on the planet, and he himself has been very outspoken about integrating with secular society. If you follow his uh, his career, his educational and academic career, and the fact that he's up at Columbia University now, he's been very outspoken about that. So he's going to be doing our, our kosher halftime show. We're going to be recording it the 6th of September on 6th of September, 6th of February on Saturday night at the uh, at the Doghouse in Teaneck, New Jersey. And uh, it'll be a 15-20 minute presentation in its final form with some nice sponsors and and then, you know, nice to give it that special uh, uh, super touch, so to speak. And, um, and, and that's it. We want to make our statement that if people watch it that day, if they watch it during halftime, if they watch it the next day, or just know that it exists, I think we've driven our point home. That, Wait, you uh, say watch. Is it watch or listen? It's both. It'll be on video. So you, could, you could listen to it on our, on our um, app. You could listen to it on the stream. You could uh, watch it on our website at novelsegal.com. And, um, you know, we, and there'll be plenty of people sharing it, so, you know, it'll be, it'll be getting around. And the point will have been made that, uh, you know, everything needs a kosher version. Uh, you know, don't, don't avoid this type of activity. Adapt, adjust, so that you can go ahead and, and, and participate in an activity that's exciting, an activity that might even you know, be a spiritual one for you or a very meaningful one for you. Uh, but do it in the proper way. So here, too, instead of encouraging people, oh, you know, turn off the game and, and don't pay attention to what all the United States uh, is doing that day. We say, you know what, just realize that, that, that there's a kosher alternative. Realize that as, uh, as good as the halftime show might be, we have a kosher one that would be even more meaningful. And I am imagining that you've gotten overall positive feedback if you're on now for your third year? Yeah, positive feedback, excitement, 
people always choose what we're going to do, how it's going to turn out, what the commercials are going to look like, what stick is going to be included. It's, it's like one of those, it, it, it's, now it's already, even three years in, it's, it's already a tradition. It's like people expect it and they're just curious. And even who the act will be, you know, has been a, uh, people have been guessing for the last couple of weeks who will the act be and who's a good solo act for a kosher halftime show and who's hot these days, etc. And, uh, and, you know, they're excited that Lipa's doing it. And um, he is one of the most popular artists out there. And uh, in general, it's just, uh, it, it's, I, think, I think it is a success in every which way. Uh, most importantly, that people view it as a, uh, as a Jewish community reacts to society. I love it. It's everything uh, we put out on Jew in the City. And um, I meant to ask you in terms of sort of using the medium in a kosher way and you know, people kind of being able to share talents or that sort of a thing. Have you heard from young uh, aspiring radio show hosts or kids that wanted to go in that direction that you helped them on their career path? Or That's a very interesting question. That's a very interesting question. Um, how do I put this? Many have asked over the years. Many have asked over the years for advice that would, that would get them to either where I am or others in the industry are. Um, it, it is a, you know, my case was such a fluke. It was such a, you know, act of God, such a, an act of faith. I, 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 I tried to convey that to them. And, you know, there are traditional roots uh, in terms of being in radio and television, uh, especially as a, you know, as a newscaster, sportscaster, weathercaster, etc. And usually that requires, you know, going out to remote communities and places where there likely is not much of a Jewish community. Uh, for those who don't want to do that, there are other ways of, you know, getting it done in the New York area, but it's, it's, such, a, it's such a challenge. It is a six-day-a-week, if not seven-day-a-week business. Uh, it is a very difficult challenge, and uh, there are people, there are exceptions, whether it's myself or others, there are exceptions that have made it or have made of it what they wanted to have made of it. Mm-hmm. But it is a very, very difficult road, you know, for every light on Broadway. And it, it's just very, very hard. So I, I do think, as much as I, I have a role, and it's important for me to encourage the youth, I think as a service to them and their parents, uh, sometimes I have to really lay out how difficult the road could be, and then, they, and then they could decide if they want to pursue it or not. But the thing is that, you know, people come to me for acting advice, you know, I'm assuming that I have some, you know, great uh, sort of information on this, and I never broke into the acting industry in Hollywood. I kind of, in fact, there was this ridiculous article um, on, I think, Ynet recently about, you know, religious Jewish actors in Hollywood and its surroundings. And I guess I was surrounding <laughs> close enough because I know some people in Hollywood. I don't have advice about how to break into Hollywood, but I sort of felt like I didn't need it. The, the way the world is today, kind of putting information out there has kind of been democratized. So. Maybe people don't need mainstream networks anymore. Maybe someone can have enough talent and enough sort of, uh, you know, will to get their thing out there and, and make it on their own. Do you, do you agree that maybe that could be a, an alternative for a young from yeah, kid? Not only, do I, not, not, not only do I agree, I think we could, you know, we could, we could, uh, we could state, um, you know, plenty of proofs to that already uh, in this Internet age. I still think. That even, that even that all that having been said, it's still very difficult, and then and the numbers don't bear out in a likelihood for success. But if somebody has the passion, has the desire, has the talent, has the patience to do what you just described, then yes, it's certainly easier today to make it than in the old days. No question about it. 
I mean, I think that's the thing. A lot of times kids will look and see the person that made the success. I mean, I was interview- I was watching an old interview that was done for me a couple of years ago at a talk. And this woman said, you know, did you ever expect that you have all these opportunities that you, you know, rise to this way? And I said, well, number one, I don't really know if I've achieved success. I kind of keep having the dream of what's ahead. But number two, these weren't, I mean, other than there were a few things that were incredible opportunities that I would definitely call divine providence. I mean, so much of it was hard work and not giving up. And I think a lot of times, you know, kids watching at home don't realize all the behind the scenes, you know, hours and blood and sweat and tears that go into things. And they kind of see like those, you know, overnight sensations. I mean, I love for the fact that you said that you had six or seven years um, go by that no one even knew who you were. The fact that you were willing to stick with it, even though no one knew who you were, I feel like a lot of times you know, kids kind of want that instant success and aren't willing to, you know, put that commitment into it, so. Oh, no question about it. Yeah, but, but look, but part of my success, if not half of my success, is the fact that I showed up every day. I mean, just being there every day, and, uh, you know, that, there's no question that that was a, a major part of it. Um, yeah, people these days, not just, not just people these days, people in every generation uh, want instant success, and it's not, uh, it's not easy to attain, that's for sure. But you did not just show up every day, Nachum. You showed up every single morning, right? I'm saying, what what kind of hours have you had to keep with this schedule? Talk about commitment. Well, yeah, I mean, at, at one point the show started at uh, at seven o'clock in the morning. Now it starts at six. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's you know, it, you get up early, and uh, you know, most most days you're anxious to get there uh, when yeah. you're doing something you love. There are there are difficult days. Most days you're anxious to get there, and uh, you thank God you're doing something you enjoy so much. And, um, and, uh, yeah, it's, you know, when you're at an event late at night, when you're at an event late at night, people come over and question, don't you have to go to sleep already? And you know you do, but, you know, it doesn't always work out. (laughs) A lot of people get up really early for their job. The only problem with my job is I can't really be late. I mean, I can, because obviously there's contingency plans, but I can't really be late. Anybody else who wants to sleep an extra 15 minutes usually can, but it's part of my position. Right, the radio waits for no one. And just uh, closing things up now. Any uh, anything that's kind of up in the future for uh, for the Nachum Siegel Network for Jamie and the AM? I know that recently you had the Unity concert and this uh, you know connection in Paris. And anything else you can share with our listeners about what's moving forward? Well, our Jewish our Jewish Unity initiative continues to grow as we continue to expand on the entire concept. I mean, we've been to Israel before and broadcasted from there, but nothing like we're going to in a couple of weeks. This is going to be something a that's going to be a major part of our Jewish Unity Initiative as we encourage people through uh, uh, through a variety of ways, uh, through the radio and network, to uh, to travel to Israel as soon as they can. I think there'll be much more um, focus on the Jewish Unity Initiative and really honing that message in the next few months. And, uh, you know, we're always looking for, for great talent and uh, to provide things that the, uh, that the audience wants. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the, I think the general desire to keep providing good quality family programming 24 hours a day to a worldwide audience. I think that's going to keep us going. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule to uh, you know, let us know how this all began and where things are headed and to let our listeners know about the Kosher Halftime Show. And they can find it on the day of that February, big game. Yeah, February 7th, 8 p.m., NahumSiegel.com. Uh, we'll remind everybody through our, our newsletter. If you don't have our newsletter, you should go to the uh, to NachumSiegel.com website. You'll see the opportunity to sign up for our weekly newsletter. And uh, you'll see it on our Facebook page, of course, Nachum Siegel Network. It's 
Twitter at NahumSiegelNet, and I hope everybody at some point, whether it's that day or right after, uh, tunes in and enjoys great music with Lipa and uh, some wonderful, fun stuff from the Doghouse in Teaneck, New Jersey. Okay, excellent, and thank you much, so much for joining us today. A pleasure, thank you. And even if you're not a sports fan, if you're a Lipa Schmelzer fan, which I am, you can tune in to the Kosher Halftime Show on February 7th at 8 p.m., I will be checking that out myself. Thanks so much for listening, and you can find us here same time, same place next week.